Good morning. Welcome to Ignite Church Sunnyland again. Um, I, hadn't, I didn't introduce myself before. I'm Paul. I am the campus pastor here. We are so glad you joined us for worship this morning. Uh, to open our time in the Word, I, I want to tell you about two different people. To begin with, I want to talk about a winning quarterback who has reached the pinnacle of his professional and personal life. Now, I would love to say that that quarterback is a member or was a member of the Chicago Bears, uh, but no Bears quarterback has ever reached the pinnacle of his professional life, uh, so I can't necessarily talk about that. And as a Packer fan, that would be just wrong of me to do anyway. Uh, the man that I'm talking about is a guy by the name of Tom Brady. Tom Brady, if you're not familiar, is the quarterback of the New England Patriots. He's won five Super Bowls, and he's the only quarterback ever to do that. He's the winningest uh, quarterback, Super Bowl winningest quarterback ever. He's also married to a Brazilian supermodel, a woman by the name of Giselle Buchen. He'll make more money in his lifetime than I could ever dream about spending. And after winning the, his third Super Bowl, he won his third Super Bowl in 2004, a year later in 2005, he was being interviewed by Steve Croft of 60 Minutes. And in that interview with Steve Croft, Brady said this, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, Hey man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't... This can't be all it's cracked up to be. Here's a man who has absolutely everything. He has riches. He has fame. He has career success. He has a beautiful woman on his arm. And he's wondering, there's got to be more than this. What he's saying is, I'm still not feeling the satisfaction. I'm still not feeling the contentment. I'm still not feeling the happiness that I thought I would. This was what my whole life was about, winning these Super Bowls, being on the top of my game, and yet I'm still feeling empty. Let me tell you another story. A woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a Christian woman who lived during World War II, and she ended up in a concentration camp in Germany. She writes in her book, The Hiding Place, about an incident that taught her the principle of giving thanks in all things, about being content, about being happy in all things. She says it was during World War II. Corey and her sister, Betsy, had been harboring Jewish people in their home. And so because of this, she was arrested and imprisoned at Ravensbrück camp. Now the barracks were extremely crowded, and they were infested with fleas. One morning, they read in their tattered Bible from 1 Thessalonians the reminder to rejoice in all things, to be content, to be happy in all things. Betsy said, Corey, we've got to give thanks for these barracks, and we need to give thanks even for these fleas. Corey replied, no way am I going to thank God for fleas. But Betsy was persuasive. And they got down on their knees and they thanked God even for the fleas. Now during the months that followed, they found that their barracks were left relatively free from the guards. And because of that freedom from the guards, they could study the Bible together. They could talk openly. They could even pray together in the barracks. It was their only place of refuge in that flea-infested barracks. They had a safe place. Several months later, they learned that the reason the guards never entered their barracks, the reason the guards left them alone, 
was because it was infested with fleas. Now, I tell those two stories because in them you see these two extremes. Tom Brady, who has absolutely everything the world can offer, and yet he's still longing for something, still searching for happiness, searching for contentment. And Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy, sitting in a Nazi concentration camp, sitting in a barracks that's infested with fleas, and yet learning to find joy, happiness, contentment, even when things around them are absolutely terrible. And I mention these two stories because this morning at Ignite Church Sunnyland, we're starting a five-week series here called Greener, Discovering Contentment and Joy in Everyday Life. And what we're going to find in this series is that joy and contentment is not found on the other side of the fence. It's not found in changing the externals of our life. The joy and contentment that each of us desire to have is found internally, just like Corey Ten Boom found it, not in getting out of the flea-infested barracks. He found it internally, just like Tom Brady didn't find it in changing the externals. And so this five-week series, we're going to be talking about this idea of discovering contentment and joy in everyday life. Now, before I continue in the message this morning, I just want to give credit where credit is due. Um, What I'm going to be talking about much of this morning is coming from a message delivered by a guy named Kevin Corver of Pella, Iowa, um, a church called Third Reformed Church uh, there. And so some of the outline kind of stuff is coming from him. But um, the reason, though, we're talking about this topic, the reason we're going into this series talking about discovering contentment (coughs) is because, frankly, you and I, we have a a problem. We have a problem. We have an if-only problem. If-only. See, we have this problem that we believe we will find happiness, we will find joy, we will find contentment if only things in our lives will change. We think that true happiness comes when we can get to the other side of the fence. You know that phrase, the grass is always greener, on the other side of the fence? It's an if-only problem. If only I could make a bit more money, then I would be happy. If only I could get that different job, then I would be happy. If only I could move to Florida, then I would be happy. By the way, can I just mention really quick, um, I don't know what what the state of Illinois and Florida is, but I've met more people here in Illinois that just want to move to Florida. Like, it's just, it's just this draw. I don't know if there's a pipeline, I don't know if there's something going on there, but it's just, I don't know, I don't get it. But anyway, if I could just move to Florida, I'd be happy. Um, if I could only meet that someone special, then I would be happy. If I could have a bit more fun on the weekends, I would be happy. If, I had the ni- if only we had the nicer house, I'd be happy. If only my spouse wouldn't treat me this way, or if I had a different spouse, I'd be happy. If only, if only, if only. And in the if only problem, what we're doing is we're looking to the other side of the fence looking at another life, and we're thinking that other life would be a better life. That other life would give me happiness. That other life would give me contentment. Now, I know you can't see it on here because of the lights, but this side of the fence is not green. It's actually more brown. And this side of the fence looks greener. And we think that the other side of the fence, the greener side of the fence, is where the good life is. If I could just get to the other side of the fence, if only things would change, then I could find contentment. Then I would find happiness. That's what we often think. But let me in, let you in on another little secret. Sometimes the other side of the fence looks greener. Sometimes the other side is greener because literally it's just covered with crap. Literally it's greener just because it's well fertilized, if you know what I'm talking about. 
See, the reality is sometimes we get to the other side of the fence. We think it's going to be better. We think it's going to get us the happiness and the contentment we desire. But we get there and we realize it's just the same old stuff. It's just the same old crap. The same old things that have made us unhappy on this side of the fence are the same things that make us unhappy on this side of the fence. All we've done is change the scenery. All we've changed is the circumstances around us, but the contentment never comes. This is what Tom Brady went through, right? If I could just win another Super Bowl, then I'll find contentment. If I could just make a, little, a couple more million dollars, if I could just, if only, if only, if only, but the contentment never comes. We often feel like our contentment, our true happiness, is based on external circumstances. But our contentment is not based on external circumstances. It's based on internal things. Now, you and I are not the first people to struggle with an if-only problem. We're not the first people to struggle with that. People for generations have had if-only problems. Since the beginning of time, the pull of the human heart has been to think that things will get better if something outside of me would just change. Since the beginning of time, there have been men and women who thought that if they could just experience something different, if they could just get to the other side of the fence, then things would get better. And I think of no one who exemplifies this more than a guy by the name of Solomon. Of Solomon. And we get to read about his struggle with contentment, his struggle with joy and happiness, and his focus on the other side of the fence in a book he called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. And so we're going to spend some time in the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. Uh, It's in the Old Testament, so if you would turn there, we're going to be in chapter 2. And we're going to be really spending most of our time in verses 1 through 11. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you want one, we've got some on the back table. You can grab one, take that home with you. That is our gift to you. Uh, we want to make sure everybody's got a Bible. Also, if you're tech savvy, we have the Ignite Church Sunnyland app. Uh, in your program, there's a little um, uh, QR code. You can scan that. You can get there, um, and the, the, message, the, the message notes are on there. Or you can just follow along on the screen. We'll put them up there as well. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. But before I read it, as you're turning there, let me just give you just a little bit of background into this guy named Solomon. So Solomon was the third king of Israel. He took over the throne from his father, David. He was the one that built the first Jewish temple. He expanded the nations of Israel's borders. He was a man of great ambition. He was also a man that had absolutely everything. He had more money than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. I saw one estimate that in the Old Testament, you can actually see it records how much gold he owned. And the estimates are, if you were to translate it today, and the tonnage of gold, that his gold alone was worth $64 billion. With, if you had his silver and his buildings and everything else he owned, uh, estimates are that his net worth in today's dollars would be $2.1 trillion, making him the wealthiest person ever to walk the planet. There's no one that even comes close to the wealth of Solomon. In addition, besides all of his land holdings and all of his projects, he also had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 1,000 women in his life. Maybe that's why we're going to find he's not so happy all the time. But anyway, I'm just, I'm dig- I digress, I'm sorry. Okay, so Ecclesiastes 2, and in verses 1 through 11, it reads this. I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. 
I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I, bro- I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers in a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. So we just read Solomon had pursued in his life all kinds of things. He had gone after pleasure, verse 1. He had gone after wine, verse 2. Folly, verse 2. Projects, verse 4. Servants, verse 7. Animals, verse 7. Silver and gold, verse 8. Entertainment, entertainers, verse 8. And women, verse 8. He basically chased after everything that he could. He was looking so often at the other side of the fence, thinking, if I could just get that other thing on the other side of the fence, then I would be happy. Then I would have contentment. Then I would have joy. But yet, this is what he found. And what he writes in verse 11 He said, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. He's saying, all of this that I pursued, everything that I was thinking was going to give me contentment and happiness, all of it was for nothing. It's like chasing after the wind. You can't catch the wind. It's a fruitless endeavor. You're never going to catch the wind. That's what he's saying. It is absolutely worthless. But Solomon wasn't done on his quest for contentment. He pursued stuff and projects and women and wine and all these things, but, but he was thinking, maybe there's something else out there. Maybe there's something else that would bring me happiness. He thought, maybe if I could be a man of great wisdom... Maybe if I could be a man that had knowledge upon knowledge, if I, if I had so many book smarts, if I knew more than anybody else, then I could have wisdom. And then I could have happiness. And we read in verses 12 through 16, he said this, Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom, and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than that was already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fools walk in darkness. What he's saying is wisdom is better than than folly. Knowledge is better than being stupid. That's what he's saying. But then he says, the wise have eyes in their heads while the fools walk in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. And then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise is like a fool will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise must die too. And so what he found was that even though he pursued wisdom and learning and knowledge, it didn't lead to the contentment he wanted either. At the end of the day, he just realized that it doesn't matter. Even if I'm foolish or I'm wise, I'm still going to die. And I can't take it with me. It was meaningless. It was worthless. And so where did all this searching for contentment leave Solomon? In verse 17, he writes, So I hated life 
because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Solomon is at the end of his life. He's looking back on all of it, and he's saying, you know what, all this stuff that I accomplished, all this chasing after contentment and joy and peace and happiness, all of it doesn't make me happy. All of it has left me empty. All of it is like chasing after the wind, a fruitless endeavor. Now there's a phrase in the passage, in the book of Ecclesiastes, that he uses over and over and over again, and it's a phrase I want us to take note of. He says, everything under the sun is meaningless. Everything that this world has to offer is worth absolutely nothing. It has never brought me contentment. Everything that I was under, uh, after under the sun, everything in this world has not brought me contentment. Let me ask, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt that there was something that you wanted and you felt like that thing was going to make you happy? It was going to bring the contentment that you were so desiring? It might have been, you know, if, I, if only I got that car. And then you got the car and you're like, well, that didn't really bring me the joy I wanted. Or I, I want that new house. That didn't really bring me the joy that I wanted. Or if I got that new job, then I would be happy. Then I'd find contentment. Under the sun. We pursue stuff under the sun all the time. We go for the other side of the fence and it never brings us the joy and happiness we want. And see, the reality is the reason we're like that is here's the problem we have. Here's the reason it never brings the contentment that we want. It's because in that we're so busy looking at the other side of the fence. We're too busy being envious of what others have. And so instead of focusing on the good gifts that we do have, we're focusing on what we don't have. Instead of being pleased and grateful for the things that we have now, we're thinking about the other side of the fence and what somebody else's have. See, this really, the source of our discontentment is envy. Ecclesiastes 4.4 says, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. What, what Solomon's saying there is all this striving, all this toiling, all of this moving to pursuing things underneath the sun, all of it was based on envy. It was based on wanting another person's life. And that's why this message this morning is called Contentment and the Green-Eyed Monster. You know the phrase green with envy? The envy that we have for another person's life, the envy we have for the other side of the fence is actually what's leading to the miserable life that we all experience. Instead of being grateful for the things we have now, looking to the other side of the fence and being envious is making us more depressed. It's like the video we watched with the cans of Coke. The woman who got the eight-ounce can at the beginning, she was so overjoyed that Jesus gave her an eight-ounce can of Coke. She loved that can of Coke. It was great. She was filled with joy until somebody got a 20-ounce bottle of Coke. And then somebody else got a liter, and someone else got a two-liter. And what happened was, by focusing on what somebody else had, by being envious, it stole her joy in the little can of Coke that she had. And you and I, we do the exact same thing in our lives. We have good gifts that God has given to us, that he's blessed us with, but instead of being grateful for those little gifts that God has given to us, we're always looking and saying, well, why can't I have that gift? Why can't I have that bigger house? Why can't I have that better job? Why can't I have if only, if only, if only, if only, right? And in the moment, we lose the contentment that God has for us because we're ungrateful for the things he's given to us. Now, truthfully, some of you in this room this morning 
maybe you're newer to this Christianity stuff, newer to this God stuff, and you're wondering, maybe not out loud, but in your head, why should I trust some old dusty book and a story of a quarterback who's a little bit unsatisfied with life? Why should I trust and put my hope in that? Why should I make a change? Why should I try to be content with the things I have now rather than being envious of someone else? Why should I really do that? Why should I trust this old crusty book? Well, what's interesting is that scholars from Harvard, Stanford, and UC Berkeley have been studying this idea of contentment for 30 years. And they have founded something called positivistic psychology. And here's what they found. They found it's not the externals of our lives that make us happy. It's the internal. They discovered that only 10% of our happiness is based on external things. Basically, in the research they found out is only 10% of our happiness is dependent upon things outside of us, how much money I make, who I'm with relationally, where I work, where I live. Only 10% of our happiness is based on those external stuff. 90% is all based on stuff inside of us. In fact, one of the crazier things they found was that as Americans, our level of happiness and contentment has not increased since the 1950s. We're, in fact, actually more depressed today than we were in the 1950s. Yet at the same time, the average standard of living has doubled, counting for inflation, meaning we are making twice as much money now as we were in the 1950s, and yet we're more depressed than we were in the 1950s. I read this week even that the happy spot for income level in the United States is about $50,000 a year. There's a small difference in happiness from $5,000 to $50,000, like, if you're only making $5,000, you are kind of in object po- poverty. You're just trying to survive. And so there is some level of dissatisfaction with that. And, and so there's some level up to $50,000 where happiness does increase. But anything over $50,000, and the level of happiness actually decreases. The more money I make, the more stuff I have, the more toys I have, the more depressed that I get. What the studies prove is it's not the externals that make us happy, but it's the internals. What they discovered was that the significant portion of our contentment and joy in life is based not on what is out there, but what's, what's going on inside of us. And basically, they proved that you and I can choose contentment not by changing our circumstances, but by changing our attitudes. Simply by changing what we focus on can lead to contentment. It's not about changing what's out here. It's not about getting to the other side of the fence. You and I can be happy and content on this side of the fence if we would just change our focus if we would start looking at things just a little bit differently. And this is what scholars from Harvard, Stanford, and UC Berkeley proved. And so if you're doubting this whole idea that this is just an old crusty book and why should I trust it, the the, the science is telling us that this is true. Now what I love about this, though, is what King, this is what King Solomon has been saying for thousands of years, right? I find it interesting that sometimes we need to spend millions of dollars on some psychology study to prove what the Bible's been saying for thousands of years. And and that proves to me that, that what the Bible says is true and that we can trust it. But here's the thing about Solomon. Not only did he find that under the sun things were not giving him contentment and happiness, Solomon also did find what the source of contentment really was. Solomon also found where true contentment comes from. See, Solomon also found a place, a space, where he could master the green-eyed monster, where he could overcome the issue of envy and find contentment. See, mastering the green-eyed monster is all about what are you looking at. 
If you're looking at your neighbor's yard, you are ripe to be miserable. Remember that I told you that, that remember that phrase, everything is meaningless under the sun? S-U-N. Contentment is not found under the sun. If you're trying to find contentment in the things of this world, you'll never find contentment. Contentment is not found under the sun, S-U-N, but it's found in the sun, S-O-N. Contentment is found in the sun, S-O-N. Mastering the green-eyed monster is about looking to the sun. Solomon also writes at the end of chapter 2, in verse 24, he says, A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. And then he said, This too I see is from the hand of God. He's saying, Yes, I can find some satisfaction in the things that I've done, but I see it as being from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Basically, what Solomon is saying is this. Yes, I, I've toiled and I've strived and I've done all these things, and there was no real contentment, and that the real contentment came when I found a relationship with God. In him, in God, is where I find wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. It's in God. Now, you'll notice that in that passage, nowhere does he mention Jesus, the Son, S-O-N. However, I don't think it's by accident that Solomon uses the word Son, S-U-N, over and over and over again. It's the big theme of the book. And the reason he uses the word S-U-N, Son, over and over and over again is because this book is all about Jesus. Every page points to Jesus. And so when Solomon's saying under the sun, he's pointing to a future son, S-O-N, who's going to give us access to God. See, here's the thing. God is the one who's going to give us contentment, but the way that we get to God is through his son, Jesus. Jesus said about themselves, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one gets to the Father except through me. And so as you and I pursue Jesus, as we run to the arms of Jesus, as we find, find Jesus, that's where we find contentment because in Jesus we find God. And in God is where we find the contentment that we desperately need. In God is how we find contentment on this side of the fence. See, here's the reality. If you can't find God on this side of the fence and find contentment, you're never going to find God on this side of the fence and be content. You're just changing the circumstances. This is not going to find contentment here either because you're missing the ultimate thing that can bring contentment, which is God. The way we master the green-eyed monster is we learn to fix our eyes on Jesus. Every day, every moment, we fix our eyes on Jesus. In, in that video, right, he kind of alluded to it. He, he said, as long as you're fixing on the can, it's all you're going to see. And what he's saying is, if you're only fixing on the can, you're never going to see me. You're never going to see the joy and the contentment that I can bring to you. If you're just focusing on the can and what you have and the stuff in your life, you're never going to find commitment. You're never going to find contentment. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one who can bring life. I'm the one who can bring joy. I'm the one who can bring peace and happiness. So I just have a few minutes here left, and I want to talk about how do we do that practically. How do we run toward the arms of Jesus? How do we find our contentment in him? And I just have a few, couple of quick hitters. First, the first thing that we can do to find our contentment and peace in Jesus is that we gather to worship. We gather to worship. We've got to make this a priority. 
When we gather together, right, to worship, it's a way that we gather on Sunday mornings. It's a way that we refocus our eyes towards Christ. Listen, in this world, we get distracted all the time. It's so easy to get focused on things of this world and things that are going on and what's happening in my family and my business and my my life and my job and all this kind of stuff. And gathering on Sunday morning is an opportunity just to hit a gigantic reset button and say, wait a second, wait a second. This life isn't about all this stuff outside here. It's about Jesus. And I gotta, I gotta remember it's about him. And, and so when we gather together and worship on a Sunday morning, it's an opportunity to do that. We're not just singing some songs. We're singing songs to Jesus. You're not just hearing some crazy guy uh, give some words. We're, we're exploring God's word together about Jesus. And so listen, we gotta make this a priority of gathering together to, to, to focus on him. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've heard this before, but... Um, there's, there's a correlation between level of happiness and church attendance on Sunday mornings. There's actually a direct correlation. Showing up at church on Sunday mornings and happiness go hand in hand. And you know what's fascinating about this? I could say this because I'm a pastor, right? Of course Paul's going to say that. He's a pastor. He wants people to show up on church on Sunday mornings. But the study from Harvard and UC Berkeley and Stanford proved the exact same thing. One of the things they talked about in order to bring contentment in our lives is church attendance is having a level of spirituality in our lives. So this is what the social scientists, the non-Christians are saying. Showing up to church is important for our, our overall contentment. Second, groups. Groups. Gather with others that point you to Jesus. You know, I absolutely love groups. Lyle talked about them in the announcement time. I love gathering in community together and studying God's word together. But the other thing I love about them is that when we gather together, we encourage one another towards living like Jesus. That's what we're doing in groups. Here's, here's the thing about groups. Uh, spiritual growth, becoming more like Jesus, doesn't happen in rows. It happens in circles. As we gather together uh, in people's homes and we open up God's word together, we pray together, we encourage one another, that's where spiritual growth happens. It's why we're a big proponent of groups. It's why I love groups. And each of the groups we're offering this fall is all about pointing you to Jesus. Uh, Jamie, who's on our soundboard this morning, is leading one on the me I want to be on Sunday, after, Sunday evenings. And it's all about becoming who I am in Christ, about finding my identity in Christ. Uh, Lyle, in the shameless plug, talked about relatable, right? About relationships that are Christ-honoring. And as we honor Christ in our relationships, right, that can be incredibly uh, uh, pointing us to Jesus as well. And then Stephanie and I are going to lead an awesome group, it'll be better than Lyle's, uh, called the Sac- Circle Maker, which is learning to pray big prayers to Christ. And as we learn to get on our knees and focus on Jesus and pray big prayers, right, we point ourselves to Jesus. And, and in that, we learn to be content. And so listen, if you want to find contentment, make it a priority. Gather in a group. Sign up. Gather together. I know it, people are busy. It takes time. I get it all. I understand that, but I'm telling you, it is worth it. It is so worth it because it's where you're going to find happiness. Third, read your Bible. You want to find contentment? You want to find Jesus? Read your Bible. Pick it up. Learn to soak up his word. It's no accident that in the book of John, Jesus is called the word. Jesus is called the word. Right? And so when we open up these pages, who do we discover? We discover Jesus. And in Jesus, we find words of life and happiness and contentment. When we start soaking up what he has to say to us, it leads to the happiness in our lives. A few years ago, I was part of a church, and we did this study called the Reveal Study. 
And the Reveal study was all about how do people grow to be more like Jesus. And one of the things it talked about was it said, yes, gather for worship, that's important. Get in a group, that's equally important. They said the number one catalyst for becoming more like Jesus, finding contentment in Jesus, was the Word of God, being in the Word of God. There is nothing else that will help you to become more like Jesus, be more satisfied in Jesus than being in his word. It's the number one catalyst for spiritual growth. And so listen, make it a priority. Open up your word in the, in, the, in the morning. Spend some time reading it, praying through it, learning, soaking it what Jesus has to say to you. It will lead to contentment. It will lead to joy. I promise you. I, I, prom- here, I, I promise you, if you would spend time reading this, I guarantee you will not become more depressed. I guarantee it. You will find more peace and happiness. Fourth, be generous with your time and treasure. One of the other things that Harvard study found out was that people that are generous with their time and treasure also found more contentment. Lyle mentioned that we have some volunteer roles that need to be filled here at church. We have had some roles in first impressions and in our kids' spaces, um, and we'd uh, love to have you fill that. And I could give you a song and dance about how we need you, but you know who needs you to serve more than we do? You do. You need yourself to serve more than we need you to serve. Because when you start serving, when you give your time and your treasure, you get a more satisfied life. As we're generous with our time and treasure, it leads to satisfaction. Finally, the last way in which we overcome the green-eyed monster and we point to Jesus is we surrender to him. Above all other things that you and I can do, there has to be a moment in our lives where we surrender to him. When I was in college, back in the day now, I feel like, I still feel like I'm a college student, so college students, I'm like, I'm still a college student, I'm still like 23, and I'm really not. I feel like I am. But when I was back in college, um, the University of Minnesota, go Gophers, I was, um, I had a good life. I had friends, I lived on campus, I had student organizations I was a part of, I was doing well in my classes. It was a great experience. And in my sophomore year, I found myself incredibly depressed, incredibly unhappy. I was chasing after everything underneath the sun. And I had a woman by the name of Tiffany who, uh, who invited me to church one Sunday. And uh, I had a crush on Tiffany, so I followed her to church. Um, and uh, hey, there's, one, you know, there's good reasons to get people in church. Anyway, uh, so I followed her to church, and I walked in, and it was, it was something amazing and beautiful. It was something I'd never experienced before. It was very much like this. It's a brand new church, relatively same size. People passionate about Jesus. People excited to be there. People excited to be with one another. And I saw it, and I went, I, I want some of that. I want a little bit more of that. I saw contentment and joy in people's eyes. And I was like, man, I want some of that. And so I kept going week after week after week. And uh, the pastor took me under his wing and answered a bunch of questions I had about, about Christianity, about Jesus. And in April of 97, now you know, you know how really old I am, in April of 97, he preached a message. And he talked in that message about how true happiness, how true joy comes in a relationship with Jesus. In a relationship with Jesus. And then I've shared this story a couple years ago now. Some of you have heard it already, so if you've heard it, I'm sorry. But he said, he said, following Jesus 
is like interacting with him as a hitchhiker on the side of the road. He said, all of us in this world interact with Jesus as a hitchhiker. Some of us are driving our cars down the highway of life and we just zoom on past him. Don't even acknowledge he's there. Others of us have seen Jesus standing on the side of the road and we've stopped the car 100 yards up the road. We're debating whether or not we should pick him up. Is he safe? Do I, do I want to even interact with him? Well, eventually, though, you make a decision to back the car up. And so you back the car up, you roll the window down, and you're having a little bit of small talk with Jesus just outside the window. You're trying to figure out if he's an axe murderer. Is he going to destroy my life, right? Is this going to be a safe thing? And eventually you invite Jesus into the car. But you put him in the back seat because you're still not quite <coughs> sure he's safe. But here's you and Jesus driving down the highway of life. You have a little bit of a relationship. You're talking to him out of the rear of your mirror, having some small talk. Where are you going? you have any kids? You know, that kind of stuff, small talk. He's just a little bit of a relationship with you. Well, eventually, though, you realize this Jesus guy is pretty cool. Like, I like him. Like, there's a lot of good stuff he's saying, some good stuff. Like, I, I really like him. So you invite him and he sits in the front seat of your car. And here's you and Jesus driving down that car, down the highway of life. He's sitting in the front seat and you're having a great conversation. You're liking this guy. He's giving you advice. He's speaking to you. He's challenging on some stuff. You're, you're sharing some stuff with him and sharing some of your deep, dark kind of stuff with him. It's being great. And then there's a moment and Jesus looks at you. He looks at you kind of funny. And you're like, what do you want, Jesus? And Jesus is like, I'm good. I'm cool. He's like, no, you want something. What do you want? No, I'm good. And then it hits you. And you look at Jesus and you say, Jesus, you just want to drive, don't you? You want to drive. Pastor Steve Treichler shared that story with me in April of 1997 as I was sitting in that church looking at my life, feeling how uncontent I was, how depressed and unhappy I was, and I realized the problem in my life wasn't anything on the other side of the fence. The problem is that I was holding on for dear life. And the moment that I let go and let Jesus take over was the moment I found contentment. It was a moment of surrender in my life to say, God, this isn't working for me anymore. The way I'm doing this is not working for me anymore. I'm, I'm giving it all in. I'm surrendering it all to Christ. I'm all in with him. And so in April of 97, I, that Sunday, I went up front. Pastor said, if anybody's, God's speaking to anybody, just come up front and I'll pray with you. And I went up front. Steve prayed for me. And I got to tell you that next week, I was like on cloud nine all the worries of the world, all the chasing after things under the sun just seemed like nothing. And I was filled with a contentment and a peace that I've never experienced before. It was absolutely amazing. I felt like God was present with me every moment of the day, that he was right there beside me. Now, since then, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. There's moments where I feel incredible contentment and peace and joy, and moments where I'm like, I'm still not feeling it. But I have to tell you, it's nothing compared to what I was before. There's a greater contentment in my life, even in the worst of days, than ever I experienced prior to that decision in April of 97. So some of you in this room, you're chasing after things under the sun. You're trying so hard to find contentment and happiness in the ways of this world. You're trying to find it on the other side of the fence. But I have this amazing truth for you. It is available to you right now. 
right here. Just has to be a moment where you just have to surrender to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am all in with you. I surrender my life to you. I'm letting go. I'm not chasing after things under the sun anymore. I'm not trying to find contentment in all this other stuff. I want to find my contentment, my peace, my life, my joy, and my everything in you. So here's the question that I want to leave you with. Where will you find your contentment? Will you find it under the sun where it has never, ever been found? Or in the only place it can be found, in God's one and only Son? Now before we pray, let me just say this. This is the time in our gathering where we get to respond to God. I believe God is working on someone's heart this morning. And now is just a chance to respond to him. It's a chance to make a commitment to say, God, I'm, I'm done. I'm done doing this on my own. I'm done chasing after things under the sun. I want to chase after your son. And so you can respond to God in one of three ways this morning. Some of you just need to make a step. Just make a commitment to God today. Maybe it's a commitment to coming to worship more frequently. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I've been, I've been a, I, I come sometimes, but I, I'm going to make it a commitment. I'm going to be there week in and week out, not for the church's sake, but for my sake, so that I can find contentment and love and peace. Some of you are going to make that commitment. Some of you are going to make a commitment to get into a group. We're going to make a commitment to serve. And if God is pulling on you that way, would you respond on your, that communication card in your program? In that little note section, say, this is what God's speaking to me about this morning. This is the commitment I'm willing to make so that I can find true contentment and happiness in my life. If you write that in that communication card and then when the offering bucket comes by, just drop that in there. And if you only want that to be me and, between me and you, you just write for pastor's eyes only. I will be the only one to read it. But we would love to partner with you and pray for you as you make that commitment. Some of you, um, some of you are being led to give generously. Not out of out, not as an obligation or out of guilt, but as a commitment to say, you know what, I'm not going to find my happiness in money. And you're going to have a chance to do that in a few minutes when we take an offering as well. Let me just say this. If you're visiting with us, we are not a church that's all about your money. In fact, every week I often say, if you're visiting with us, just let the offering bucket go by. We don't want you to give. We want this service to be a gift to you. But at the same time, I also want to not rob God of what he's trying to do in your life rob you from what God's trying to do in your life. And for some of you, there might be a commitment to say, you know what, I need to give. I need to be generous because I'm, I've been putting my hope and my trust in my pocketbook rather than in you. I've been trying to find my contentment in my pocketbook rather than in you, God, and so I'm going to give. And then finally, some of you, though, just need to let go of the wheel. And if this is you this morning, if you're in a moment like I was in 1997 where you're like, I need to just surrender, I just need to give up and let God move in my life. I'm going to pray in a moment, and the words of surrender that I pray, as I'm praying them, will you make them the words in your head? Would you pray those prayers as well this morning? And if you're praying that for the first time, would you mark that on your communication as well, card as well, that you've made a decision to follow Jesus this morning for the first time? Because we want to celebrate that with you today. We want to celebrate with you as you surrender to Christ because I know that in that there's going to be life and contentment and joy and peace. So let me just pray. The worship team is going to come up and we'll just close out the service. Lord God, we thank you for your good hand, your, your goodness to us. God, we thank you for the good gifts that you do give us. Help us not to focus on what other people have and what other people don't have. 
but help us to focus on what you've given us now and here and now. Help us to be content on this side of the fence. And Lord, we know that our ultimate contentment is not found in stuff. It's not even found in just being grateful for what we have. Our ultimate contentment comes from you. That as we run to the arms of Jesus, that we find peace and joy and happiness. And so God, help us to run to the arms of Jesus. I pray for those of us in this room right now. I pray that, God, you would stir up in us a desire to come and gather together to worship, not for the church's sake, but for our sake, so that we can learn to find our contentment and peace in you. God, I pray that you would help us to um, gather together in groups, that we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, that we can help each other to, to point each other to Jesus. God, I pray that you would give us a passion to be in your word, to soak it up in what it has to say to us. God, I pray that you would stir us to serve. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that you would help us to surrender. Just lay it all down. To stop chasing after the wind, but to find our contentment in you. So God, I pray that you would help us to surrender. And God, I'm praying that for people for the first time and for the 50th time. And we just surrender to you. And God, we just confess to you. I, I surrender to you right now. God, I confess, Lord, that I often try to do it on my own, that I'm trying to grab the wheel of my life, trying to go in my own direction, apart from you. And God, to that I say, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me, Lord God? And then, God, I pray that that I could just find my satisfaction and my joy in you, Jesus. Jesus, that you would be enough for me, that more of you is more than enough for me. God, that I could find my joy and satisfaction in you. God, I surrender to you. God, have your way in my life. God, I, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, that I could have new life, that I could have access to God the Father for all eternity. And so, God, I'm surrendering to that truth that you did die on the cross, Jesus, so that I could experience life and life to the full. Help me to walk in that, Jesus. And I know that you can help me because not, not only did you die on a cross, but you rose again. Three days later, you rose again. The grave could not keep you. And so I know that there's power in the resurrection as well for me to be filled with all kinds of life, to find contentment and joy on this side of the fence. So Lord, I pray that you would move in my heart, move in our hearts, do what only you can do. It's in the precious name of Jesus we